This is Market Insights, the Market Pulse podcast by Oanda. I'm Johnny Hart. Welcome to the Market Insights Market Pulse podcast. And today we're joined by Oanda Senior Market Analyst Kelvin Wong in Singapore and Craig Earlham in London. Good morning. Good morning, Johnny, and good afternoon over at my end. (laughs) Indeed. Good afternoon to you. Let's start with the markets where you are, Kelvin. Of course, it's going to be a very interesting week to come. But let's start with the latest coming out of Asia Pacific. So the major event or news that the Asia markets, especially on the China and the China proxy stock market, is actually watching two stories or three stories or events that's unfolding right now. The first one will be, as you all know, that the U.S. Uh, Secretary of State, Blinken, he's in China today to actually uh, meet the foreign ministry officials. And things got uh, kind of a relatively well or rosy between the talks between him and the key foreign uh, ministry officials that China presidency has already agreed to meet uh, one-on-one with uh, U.S. Secretary of State, Blinken. So that is a sign of a first step of uh, a kind of a, a stabilizing of this ongoing tense ties between uh, US and China in a couple of things of aspect of it. Uh, one will be definitely this ongoing US-China tech war. And also, interestingly, is uh, how does China play a piece to actually uh, in this uh, situation where there's ongoing more than a year of conflict between Russia and Ukraine. That actually kind of give a bit of a positive tone in the uh, Chinese-related stock market where some of the partial intraday losses has been uh, offset by this uh, positive news flow. Then on the other hand, we start to see if more of a economic side of the story from China is, as we all know that last week, uh, we start to see, uh, I would say that the China top policy makers has been more generous in terms of loosening their liquidity taps after we see several months of very weak bloodluster economic data out from China, China PMI, services PMI, as well as the exports numbers, when uh, domestic inflation as well, and PPI data, that is pointing more of a deflationary risk rather than inflationary risk that the rest of the world is showing. So uh, last week, the PBOC actually cut two key monetary policy interest rate, the seven-day repo rate and the one-year medium-term lending rate, this week, which is tomorrow, uh, more or less has been priced in by the markets, uh, at least a 10 basis point cut each to the one-year loan prime rate and the five-year five loan prime rate. So uh, market now is actually expecting uh, also a possibility of a broad-based stimulus package to be released this week or next week because there's been discussion in plan uh, within the China State Council. Uh, so this particular new stimulus measure package will cover the real estate sector and as well as some subsidies to actually boost uh, internal consumption. So a lot of rosy, uh, we call it uh, liquidity easing measure that's coming out of China. What we see over here is that actually boosted the China-related uh, stock market or proxies. Uh, let's say, for example, we take a look at the Hansing Index, the Hansing Index or the Hansing China Enterprise Index. So last week, they actually notched up uh, pretty stellar gains, uh, close to about five to seven week high. Indeed. And uh, with uh, those numbers going up, obviously, that's uh, pricing in what they think is going to happen. So if uh, those measures, stimulus measures that you mentioned, and also cuts in rates don't happen, you'd expect stocks to go the other way. Yes. So what we see over here is that uh, potentially uh, markets kind of 
anticipating such uh, rosy uh, measures. Yeah, if, if it doesn't turn out, turn out as well expected, there could be a kind of a more steeper pullback or profit taking. But nevertheless, what we could see the last couple of days, uh, these indices has been trading above their 200-day moving average for the last uh, five days. So that could actually act as a support that I'm watching at uh, if these measures didn't uh, follow through. It does sound more encouraging news, though, that uh, Anthony Blinken is going to be meeting President Xi today, uh, Kelvin, because there are a number of issues at stake here, uh, both economic and political. Yes, indeed. So uh, political will be definitely, if you look at the last uh, two or three months, Chinese presidency has been the middleman uh, between uh, Russia President Putin and the Ukraine president, uh, hoping to actually put in China as a diplomatic forefront to hope to actually defuse this uh, uh, Ukraine and Russia conflict that everybody uh, hopes to actually to end as soon as possible. So I believe that... Uh, since that uh, president, the Chinese presidency is the middle band, uh, U.S. Secretary of State Blinken who actually wanted to know uh, over the end what do really Putin want and could possibly say that uh, to relay a message from the U.S. Stem, uh, point of view, hopefully uh, Chinese presidency could actually use uh, his uh, what you call it uh, his diplomatic uh, measures or his what so called a more rosy relationship with. Uh, Russia President Putin to actually um, ask Putin to actually agree to or to to reduce his uh, more uh, hawkish approach uh, towards Ukraine uh, during this uh, geopolitical uh, standoff. Yeah, let's turn to you, Craig. Now, of course, last week big week for central banks with the U.S. Fed, the ECB, and so on. Another big week coming up, particularly on this side of the Atlantic in the UK. There is. The Bank of England this week, I think, is huge, especially for those of us who are obviously here in the UK. But I think as we've spoke about before in this podcast, I do feel like people are kind of looking at central banks at this moment in unison. So there is individual stories within, but we're all fighting the same inflation problem to a broad extent. But obviously, more intricate issues mean that each country and bloc has its own individual issues within that. And when we've seen stubbornness inflation around, we've seen it across the board, but to different extents. And we've seen that, of course, over the course of the last six months in particular. So this week, the focus will be on the UK because the UK has the biggest inflation problem, arguably, amongst all of these major developed nations, because inflation did go higher and stay above 10% for much longer than elsewhere. It's also now started to fall much more slowly. Last month, we had core inflation actually rise by 0.6% rather than decline. Um, and that's something that we haven't seen in the US or the euro area, for example. So we've got UK inflation data on Wednesday, which I think is going to be critical in terms of determining what the Bank of England is going to do next. Whereas the Fed has now paused and may have even ended its tightening cycle. The median forecast within the Fed is for two more rate hikes, but I don't think we'll quite get there. The euro area, they're saying that they're going to do at least one in July, unless something significantly changes, but it means that they're pretty much at the end of their tightening cycle. 
Here in the UK, the markets are forecasting five more rate hikes. So very different situation going into 2024. And the question on everyone's lips this week, as far as Thursday is concerned, is is 25 basis points enough or are we going to see 50 basis points again? Are we going to see it revert back to these supersized rate hikes? At the moment, the base rate stands at 4.5%. The markets are pricing in a 25% chance of 50 basis points. But this all now hangs on the inflation data on Wednesday. Another nasty surprise. And I think that 50 basis points will be much more heavily priced in. A 50 basis points increase would be a very nasty surprise for all those who are either on those tracker rates or about to have to renegotiate a new mortgage. And one wonders whether we're going to see a housing price crash in this country sooner rather than later, Craig. Yeah, but the issue that we still have, and when we look at a lot of these surveys, whether it's on from Rightmove or whether it's from uh, various different organisations, they're all kind of saying something similar, which is supply is still not keeping up with demand. And that's why housing activity is still quite strong by comparison to what you would almost expect it when interest rates reach these kind of levels from zero so quickly. Uh, and that is that is still means that house prices are staying elevated, house housing activity is remaining more elevated than you would maybe typically expect and you wonder how much worse it's going to have to get and the pressure point from what you hear from various different uh, kind of economists etc is that five to six percent is where the pressure point really becomes um, almost too much uh, as far as the economy is concerned but it's just not it's not just about where interest rates get to it's how long they stay there right because as you say there's those on tracker rates but there's still a very small proportion of people within this country most people are on two or five year uh, mortgages so if interest rates stay at 6% for three months, then you think the pain would be constrained to those who have, unfortunately have to remortgage within those three months or those on variable rates. If it stays there for two years, then the pain is far more widespread and the impact of the housing market would be far more significant. So it's kind of this dual factor here. And this is why some people within the MPC may be tempted by a 50 basis point rate hike uh, this week and maybe again at the next meeting which is to say they go do you know what we realize that we've completely underestimated the scale of the inflation problem the resilience of the uk economy at this stage and it's almost better to inflict this pain now go hard and then be able to reverse course early next year and trying to get the economy back on track almost kind of crash the economy to rebuild the economy quicker rather than prolong the pain for two years um that you you imagine that that debate may actually be happening Every central bank has talked about wanting to try and generate a soft landing. And it seems that as far as the Bank of England is concerned, that soft landing may be uh, uh, something that's a little bit too hard to achieve, whereas in the US, the euro area may be a bit more straightforward. We've got some other central banks, the SNB and Turkey as well. Um, I know you love talking about uh, the latest uh, from uh, Turkey's central bank and some of the uh, extraordinary decisions that have been made over the last year or so. What should we expect? I mean, there's also things like Mexico and Norway as well, but these are the two that stand out for me. And the reason why is Switzerland's a fascinating case because inflation actually fell to 2.2% in May and their inflation target is below but close to 2%. So you'd think that they would be ready to to pause and to let the other rate hikes filter through and think that, you know what, we, we, we've achieved our target. But that's not the message that we're getting from the SMB. Their chairman, Thomas Jordan, 
actually hinted that they may get not just a rate hike at the meeting this week, but a 50 basis points rate hike because um, they that they almost think that they need, until inflation is at target, that they have to keep raising interest rates. And it's a very different take compared to what we're seeing from other central banks. Other central banks would love to see inflation at 2.2% and they would be pausing uh, almost immediately. If not, they would have paused prior to this. Thomas Jordan re- uh, recently suggested that they believe the neutral rate to be around 2%. Interest rates in Switzerland are currently at 1.5%. So markets are now pricing in a relatively decent chance that we see a 50 basis point rate hike this week, even though inflation is only 2.2%. Turkey is a totally different situation. So obviously recently, President Erdogan was recently re-elected. And he was re-elected in part on the promise that he opposes high interest rates and that he will continue to support cutting interest rates. He had a central bank governor, one of many that he's had in recent years, who uh, agreed to effectively keep cutting interest rates no matter how bad inflation got, and they, they did just that. It, it may or may not have helped him get re-elected. It's obviously hard to know because they've had to deal with much higher inflation as well, uh, 80% plus at one point. And um, then he's won the election, and he's replaced his finance minister with someone more conventional. He's replaced his central bank governor uh, in the last couple of weeks as well with someone far more conventional. And so now people are looking at this meeting. And it's to be honest, I mean, it's it could go any way. Uh, you wouldn't want to kind of pick uh, which way this is going to go. And the range of forecasts for this meeting varies quite considerably from 10 plus um, percent rate hikes to rate cuts, effectively. So it's going to be a fascinating one to watch. We're going to see whether President Erdogan has effectively replaced a puppet governor with another puppet governor or whether he's replaced them with someone who's going to raise interest rates. He can complain publicly that this is the wrong thing to do, but he's got his way with his previous governor. He knows that they, they've they drawn down their forex reserves to a devastating level. He knows that inflation is going to get worse if they don't do something different now, but he can be seen to be the proponent of uh, cutting interest rates uh, while watching a governor do effectively uh, do the opposite because the Turkish lira has suffered considerably, their forex reserves have suffered considerably, their markets have suffered considerably, and deep down he knows that something else is necessary. So it's going to be really interesting to see exactly which direction the Central Bank uh, of Turkey is going to be headed in after the announcement on Thursday. Finally, Kelvin, last word to you. What else are you looking out for for the rest of the week? Definitely for Asia will be the Japan. Uh, Japan, we have uh, two or three key data out on this Friday. Will be the uh, Japan nationwide inflation rate data for May, as well as the flash manufacturing and services uh, PMI data for June. So why is it important? Because as we know that Japan uh, central bank policy has been pretty much interesting. They have been pretty much uh, rather dovish uh, versus the rest of the G20 nations, which are still in a kind of a hawkish mode. Uh, despite them, some are in favor of a pause. Uh, and if you look at last Friday, latest BOJ meeting, uh, the governor, Yuda, downplayed the prospect of a, what I call that, um, sticky inflationary situation in Japan. So it's very interesting to see the this Friday Japanese data on inflation, especially on the core core inflation rate, which is excluding fresh food and energy. In the month of April, they actually increased to a close to a 40-year high at 4.1% year on year. And this time around, there are some economists that are actually forecasting a slight increase to 4.2% year on year for May. 
And also, a uh, thing to note out will be the services PMI or, this, or the services activity in Japan has been on a consecutive uh, month of uh, improvement. So what we are just expecting for the month of June, the flash data services PMI to actually grow at a faster pace of 56.1 uh, from 55.9 uh, that was recorded in May. So something interesting to look out for, uh, especially uh, to see where, how soon will BOJ starts to actually uh, have the pressure to actually start to normalize its uh, ultra-dovish monetary policy. Kelvin Wong in Singapore, Craig Earlham in London, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Market Insights, the Market Pulse podcast by Oanda.